It's blazing hot outside. You get in your car to turn on the AC to get cold air pumping, but it blows hot air out. This issue is commonly caused by low refrigerant due to leaks in the AC system. You want an easy, all-in-one solution that will restore the cold air in no time. AC Pro Recharge Kits. Make restoring cold air easy for even those with zero DIY experience in less than 10 minutes. Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. And welcome in again to this week's edition of the Pipeline Podcast. I am your host, Jordan Schusterman, joined this week only by one member of the MLB Pipeline team, Jim Callis. Jim, thank you for joining me, and we'll explain why Jonathan is not joining us here in a second. But Jim, how are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. I mean, I think between you and me and Jonathan, at least one and oftentimes two of us have been traveling. Like, I don't even remember the last time all three of us were together for one podcast yes. because of all the travel involved. But yes. uh, I, I think things will, will settle down a little bit coming up. Um, and as Jonathan and I kind of get, you know, locked into our draft bunkers, uh, uh, going forward, once we get past minor league opening day, uh, and, and the three of us should be together, I think much more often, uh, going forward. Yes. Yes. Hopefully we can get into more of a, more of a consistent routine. We are recording this on Thursday, April 4th. It is minor league opening day. I believe they're calling it minor league opening night. Uh, so we've got all kinds of minor league action beginning this evening. And we are going to be covering a lot of that because uh, what we got in store for this week's podcast, we're going to be talking about the most stacked minor league rosters. Jim has an article coming out on that on MLB Pipeline that you can uh, see on MLB Pipeline very soon. Uh, and also we're going to be talking about some of the most aggressive or interesting, intriguing assignments for some of the younger prospects uh, in the game and and whether they're, they're being pushed too hard or, or maybe they're being too conservative about them. We're going to talk about those. And then because draft season is very much upon us, once the minor league season kind of kind of gets into a routine, we're going to be talking a little bit of draft stuff. We're going to be talking about the, the hottest hitter in the country, Hunter Bishop. And then we're going to be talking about how we have no idea what pitch, which pitchers are going to be at the top of the draft because guys are hurt, guys are underperforming. It's, it's a messy crop at the top. But let's go back to the professional prospects. We're not talking draft yet. Jim, you have an article on, on MLB Pipeline about the most loaded minor league rosters. Of course, we're always excited to see these minor league rosters come out and see who has all the prospects. And you have a few teams that you've identified uh, that, that are going to be especially fun to watch and track, you know, statistically all season long. And uh, let's begin at, at the top. Who, who would you say is, is number one? Good options here, but who is the one team that you're most excited to watch in the minor leagues? I think it's it would be the Round Rock Express, uh, Houston's AAA affiliate. They're the they're the lone minor league team that opened the season with four active uh, players uh, on the top 100 prospects list. They've got the best pitcher in baseball, or pro- pitching prospect, I guess I should say, in Forrest Whitley. They've got one of the best hitting prospects in Kyle Tucker, and he led the league, the PCL, in slugging and ops last year. They've got Jordan Alvarez, who's another one of the very best hitters in the minor leagues. Corbin Martin, who kind of gets, I think, lost in the shuffle a little bit, um, but is a really good pitching prospect as well. And then beyond that, they have some guys who could help in Houston this year. CNL Perez is a little lefty, with, who can really throw strikes and has really good stuff. And, and he'll factor into Houston's probably their bullpen at some point this season. 
you've, you've got Garrett Stubbs, who, who I think is like kind of your quintessential. I don't know, Jordan, if he can hold up enough physically to be an everyday catcher at the big league level for a number of seasons. But I think he makes a really good, versatile, athletic backup. He's kind of small, but he's really athletic for the position. And then they've got, like, I still don't know what to make of this guy, Jordan. Miles Straw, who... You know, he's led the minors in hitting two years ago or, or three years ago. He led the minors in steals last year. And if you look at his spray charts, you think this guy was like in a left, like extreme lefty pull hitter, except he's a right-handed hitter who makes a lot of soft contact and just shoots it to the opposite field. He doesn't, he's shown very little power in the minors. Although he did hit a long home run in his brief time in the big leagues last September. He made the playoff roster. You know, his approach is so extreme. I don't know if there's enough impact in there to be a big league regular. But if he's not, I think he makes a really good fourth outfielder because he can put the bat on the ball. He can, you I mean, you could, there are guys who will give him well above average speed, arm strength, and even defense in center field. So he fascinates me too. But anyway, that's just the Round Rock Express. It's a loaded team. You know, the Astros might have the best team in the big leagues talent wise, I think if I were breaking them all down and they've also got all these guys in AAA ready to contribute when needed. So the Astros, not that this will shock anybody, but the Astros are going to be very formidable this year. Yeah. And, and I, obviously it seems a little crazy to get too hung up on, on straw when you have the big names, Whitley and Tucker, but, but it is interesting with him. The spray chart is so crazy. You know, he has these standout other tools besides the bat. It's always interesting for me to think about, like, is that his approach or is he just not able to pull the ball, but like it's still working because he's like hitting 330. There's so many weird parts of his profile that I can't figure out. Um, but but he is just the speed alone makes him worth watching. So I'm excited to see statistically what kind of what kind of numbers he can put up and if he can get back to the big leagues as more as just more than just a, a pinch runner. Uh, so we talk about Straw and then Tucker and Alvarez, some big bats there. Another team that you that you identified as one of the most stacked teams, probably one of the more exciting minor league rotations we're going to have, the Mississippi Braves. Now, the Braves are a system that has boasted some pretty ridiculous amount of arms over the last few years, but now a lot of them will be in one place at one time. This is a team, and and, not to mention the hitters, we'll get to them in a second, but the Mississippi Braves rotation is going to be very special. Yeah, it is. I mean, you've got Ian Anderson, who's on the top 100 prospects list, uh, is the the obvious one, but I mean, it goes a lot deeper than that. I mean, you've got... You've got you know, Joey Wentz behind him. Joey, I think, has been on, our, if I remember correctly, on our top 100 prospect list at times in the past. You've got Kyle Muller, uh, who is close to making the top 100 prospects list as well. Patrick Weigel, who, who's had some injury issues but has a big-time arm. And then Tucker Davidson's kind of an interesting arm too. But, yeah, that, that, that's pretty much if you go see a Mississippi Braves game this year, you're going to see a legitimate pitching prospect on the mound every time out. Yeah, and that's just the arms. They are will also be – uh, be running out Christian Pache in center and Drew Waters. We're going to talk about Waters a little bit more specifically a little bit later because he he was one of the more surprising minor league assignments. But but Pache is is he's one of the guys that you bring up. It's like who could catapult into you know top ten, top twenty prospects in baseball status. He's he is safe to say he's one of those guys. Yeah, he he is. If, if we were doing a list where you weren't necessarily factoring in track record and how polished guys are. If you were just doing the best pure tools on the top 100 prospects list, you know, Pache would be, you know, up there with guys like Victor Robles and Joe Adele. I mean, 
you know, we, we say this all the time. It feels like it's almost becoming a cliche, but I mean, he is considered the best defensive outfielder in the minor leagues. Like, I, I don't think anybody questions that. And it's not just that the guy's a, a, a great center fielder. I mean, he's got a plus-plus arm, which you don't usually see in center field either. So, I mean, it's elite defense. It's an elite arm. He's got plus-plus speed. Um, you know, he's still, I mean, he's only 19. I mean, we, you know, it's funny. We kind of gloss over, hey, he's in in double a he was 19 last year in double a he's 20 now but he turned 20 in november so it's still kind of a young 20 he's gonna be 20 all year um and he's you know i wouldn't say rushed he's kind of held his own but he's still developing offensively he hasn't translated that speed into steals yet he's got you know i'd say at least average power potential um but he hasn't really delivered on that he hadn't really homered i don't think before last year hit nine home runs last year you know the bat's coming along he's figuring out the strike zone but i mean the tools there are are unbelievable um and if he if he can add you know some polish and again i mean he's been moved very aggressively um then you know yeah i i wouldn't be you know he, he definitely has the upside of a guy who could be ranked in the top 10 prospects or so in all of baseball now, Braves fans will also be happy to see that that uh, Gwinnett also making your list of the most loaded uh, minor league rosters. They'll have Mike Soroka, Tuki Toussaint, uh, Austin Riley, and Colby Allard to start their season. But enough Braves chat. I mean, look, the Braves system has gotten plenty of love over the, over the last few years. Well-deserved, well-deserved. We want to give some, some love. You also uh, identified the Tulsa Drillers, the Dodgers uh, AA affiliate. Uh, they've got most of their top guys there. Who are you most excited to see on that Tulsa team? Yeah, what's interesting about that Tulsa team is they they won the Texas League Championship last year, and a lot of these guys were on that team last year. You know, Caber Ruiz, Ruiz split the catching duties with Will Smith for most of the year. Will Smith went up to AAA at the end of the year. I mean, he's you can make a case that Caber Ruiz is, is as good as any catching prospect in baseball. He's only 20 years old. Gavin Lux put up better offensive numbers than any shortstop anywhere in the minor leagues last year. He's only 21. Uh, Dustin May's back. I mean, another super young guy, you know, 21. He pitched very well down the stretch. I think he won the clinching game of the playoffs, if I'm not mistaken. You've got guys like Mitchell White, who when he's on has has crazy good stuff. Uh, DJ Peters, who... You know, it seems like every year he 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 leads uh, his league in home runs. He'll you know he's back. I I wouldn't I would he needs to make more consistent contact. But I wouldn't expect him to spend the entire year there necessarily. You've got this is a fascinating team, and you got Yadier Alvarez who's an enigma. But when he's on, I mean, he's got you know is, is easy and are he and Hunter Green, who unfortunately is hurt right now, have the two easiest hundred mile an hour fastballs most scouts have ever seen, and then he can wipe you out. You know, he's not on often, but when he is, he can wipe you out with an upper 80s slider and a lower 80s curveball and a flash of plus changeups. He's crazy. Omar Estevez is a Cuban hitter who they really like to bat when they signed him for $6 million and a matching penalty in November, 2015. He really came on at the end of last year in high class. States, so they like him. And then they've got like one of these fascinating deceptive relievers, Marshall Kosowski, who was there last year. Also, he led all minor leaguers last year with 111 strikeouts and 64 and two thirds innings. He, he uh, had, Nobody, you know, that was 15.4 strikeouts per nine, the most strikeouts of anybody who pitched at least 60 innings of Myers last year. And Jordan, he does it with one pitch pretty much. He's got a 91, 97 mile an hour fastball that he comes straight over the top. It's a crazy delivery, kind of like Josh Kalmenter, if you can envision in that. It looks like the ball literally is coming out of his ear um, and it just gets on hitters super, 
super quick. Um, so he's interesting. And, and I'll give you one more. Now, I do our Dodgers list. That's why I know so much about these guys. Christian Santana is a guy who led the Cal League in homers and RBIs last year and was playoff MVP. So, I mean, that I had them as kind of the number two team behind that loaded round rock team. Like I, that, that roster is pretty interesting. I do think in their case, a lot of those guys are going to be up in AAA probably you know mid-season ish so the if, if you're in tulsa listening to this podcast go see the drillers early in the season because these guys are so good they're not going to be there all year yeah yeah they'll be they'll be heading up to uh or i guess just down the road to oklahoma city uh so it's pretty easy pretty easy <laughs> pretty easy drive for them uh, but that's that that is an exciting team you've got you've got the top tier ones uh but you've also got kind of some weirdos the the Kazowskis and the enigmas like Alvarez and DJ Peters also a uh, kind of a, a, a bizarre uh, profile as well uh so those are some of the top guys at the the upper levels but we got to give some of the lower levels some love who is one team maybe an A ball that you think team play, uh, minor league fans prospect fans should be paying attention to yeah, I like the Wilmington Blue Rocks. And what's interesting about them is they're a Royals affiliate. And these other teams we've talked about, Astros have one of the best farm systems in baseball. Dodgers have one of the best farm systems in baseball. Braves have one of the best farm systems in baseball. The Royals aren't there yet, but they are on the upswing. They had, you know, it's kind of a perfect way to build like a really good Class A team, Jordan. They had a very high school heavy draft two years ago. And they had a very college-heavy draft and a bunch of extra picks, if you remember, last year. So a lot of those guys have come together in Wilmington this year. From from last year's college draft, you have Brady Singer, you have Daniel Lynch, Lynch you have Jackson Kowar, all first-round picks, all tremendous talents. You have Kyle Isbell, who's an outfielder they got out of that draft as well. And then the high school guys from the previous year, you have guys like MJ Melendez behind the plate, Nick Prado at first base. You've got Sully Matias, who was an international signing from a couple of years before that, but his age puts him right in here, who was making a run at the minor league home run title before he got hurt at the end of last year and, and hit a long home run in the Futures game. And, and David Ortiz had a great comp, compared him to like a young Sammy Sosa, where it's he's kind of out of control and a little bit wild with the swing at times and with the discipline, but just tremendous power. So I, I think that's a team that's really interesting. And, and if I'm a Royals fan, like I, I think like how those guys do this year, I mean, obviously there's there's a distance between high class A and the big leagues, but if those guys perform well this year because they performed pretty well last year in, in low A and I believe they won the championship at that level, then you start to feel pretty good that these guys might be able to to lead the next resurgence in Kansas City in a couple of years down the line. Yeah, and I think those hitters, especially the Melendez and Prado, um, will, will be, and even Matias, who, despite hitting all those home runs last year, was his batting average was was a lot closer to 200 than 300. But those three college pitchers that they got last year, Singer, Lynch, and Coar, also guys that may not be long for Wilmington if they go out and perform quickly. Singer, especially, you know, was was presumably in the mix for for a top five pick at one point. Uh, during his draft season. So if those guys throw well uh, in the generally pitcher-friendly Carolina League, I imagine they could move quickly. But that is that is a good that's a good call. That's a really good point that they they had the perfect storm to create the best or most interesting high A team. So uh, I will be very excited to see some of those guys. And you know, you mentioned a lot of these guys we we talked about. Um, you know, age appropriate. They've they've already they've dominated the level before. We see them there, but some of them not so much. And I wanna I wanna take a little bit of time now to talk about some of the more surprising or intriguing prospect assignments. Uh, maybe maybe individually, not just uh, for entire minor league teams. Uh, one of the guys I mentioned before, Drew Waters, who has had a little bit of helium 
in the Braves system over the last year and a half or so. Now, he had a really strong year last year as a 19-year-old, or I guess maybe as an 18-year-old in, uh, in, in low A, and he did get promoted to high A, but struggled to hit his OPS under 700 in the Florida State League. But here he is, going to be in the outfield with Christian Pache and double A. What is the... What has made Drew Waters so like? Why are people so excited about him now? Because the numbers don't necessarily stand out. But why do you think they're pushing him all the way to Double A so quickly? Yeah, I mean, he had he was if they left him, I think in in the Sally League last year at age nineteen, and he just kept doing what he was doing there, where he was he had an ops close to nine hundred, and he was hitting three hundred as a teenager, and you know he he stole twenty bases to to go along with the hitting ability. It it, it wouldn't have surprised us as much. I, I will say it's interesting because I talked to Drew Waters was a guy I interviewed in spring training. And the, the, the word, if I had to, to reduce the interview to one word, like to, to sum up Drew Waters, I would just say confidence. He's very confident hitter. And it was, I asked him about the, the transition from A to high A last year. And he said he didn't really think it was so much that the pitching was better. It's just that he wore down. It was his first full pro season. Like he, 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 I mean, yeah, the pitching was better, but he didn't feel like he was overmatched. He just thought he was just kind of worn out in August when he got there. And that's why he didn't drive the ball as well as he did in low A. Um, he probably, if you were asking me to pick, like what was the most surprising assignment on here uh, on the top 100 list, it would probably be Drew Waters in double A, I think. I, I, I'd be with you on that. Um, but the part that, that wouldn't be surprising about is the Braves. We, we've seen them be very aggressive with their pitchers. We've seen them be very aggressive. We were talking about Pache. Uh, you know, even having Waters in, in high A at 19 at the end of last season was aggressive. So, you know, the, the Braves would be on my list of suspects as a, to a team that, w- that would promote a young guy that aggressively, a young hitter that aggressively. But I, I really do think the mental makeup is part of it, that if he were less confident, then you, I, I've always said, I think it's easier to, to ruin a guy's confidence than it is to build it back up. So like I would usually err on the side of caution, let the guy tear up at the lower level and then promote him. But I think in Drew's case, and the Braves obviously know him better than me, I'm sure it had to be a factor when like this guy is not going to be phased, you know, by the challenge of handling double A pitch. I'm not, I'm not saying he's, he's this good, but it's kind and I'm not saying he's this confident, but there's a little bit of a Alex Bregman air to him. Just if you, I'm not saying you're not going to see Drew Waters all over YouTube and he's not, I mean, Alex, I, I mean, I know you do. I, Alex Bregman might be my favorite player in the big leagues and I'm not putting Drew Water. Like I, I've gone ahead and I've, I'll, I'll throw Alex Bregman. I said, I mean, Carter Keeboom when we talk about Carter Keeboom, I'm not saying Drew Waters is going to be that good, but that was just kind of the vibe I got from talking to him is that, you know, and great, you know, I mean, he's 20, so I mean, he would be a junior. He actually be, I mean, I'm sorry, a sophomore at my alma mater, Georgia, which would make our team even better this year. So I wish he'd gone to college, I guess. But, but, but I was gonna say, like, Drew Waters isn't like you know Alex. Like, wasn't like Alex Bregman AAA at the Futures game a couple of years ago, where Alex is like, you know, ready for the big leagues. Like, Drew, he just has that vibe. So again, anybody listening to this, I'm not saying Drew Waters will be Alex Bregman, but he does have that kind of confident hitting vibe and i do think that played a part in the braves decision yeah and and before we move on to to some other names you you bring up just like the philosophy of promoting guys and and every team does it differently uh some guys that that just make sure that their guy performs at every level and not even some of the best and most successful prospects over the years if you go back and look it's not like they were the best hitter in the league every time do you have any particular preference? If you were running a team, would you would you kind of always keep it age appropriate, or like what would be your biggest indicator to decide what when to move a guy up? 
Well, I mean, I, I don't think you can just have hard and fast rules and say, okay, 19 year old, he's got to go here. 20 year old's got to go there because look, you're going to have some of the younger guys who are more advanced for their age and some of the older guys who might be less advanced. So I think you have to do it based on performance. Um, you, you have to know the player, how he can handle it. I, I do think my overriding philosophy would be, I would err on the side of caution. So like for me, I would like using Drew Waters as a specific example, I would send Drew Waters to high A this year. And if he tears it up in a, you know, in the first six or eight weeks, then I, then I'd promote him. But that said, like I was saying, I don't think Drew Waters is going to have a crisis in confidence if he gets off to a slow start. So he could probably handle it, but that would be my, my override. I, I, I guess my theory would be if, if you're on the fence on the guys to what to do, I would probably err on the side of, of starting him at the lower air. I'd rather have the guy tear it up than go the high, at the lower level than go to the higher level and struggle. And then, cause it, cause you, what you get caught in sometimes when you aggressively promote the guy is, and then he has a, a bad year or whatever, or, or a bad, you know, half year, like the, the actual concept of demotion is a huge negative, both to the player, to the perception outside the organization, you know, people are like, Hey, what's going on. And so teams don't really want to demote a guy. So there's a little bit of a risk. If you promote the guy aggressively, you know, it, it's hard to send the guy back. Or even if you don't demote him, if you have him repeat a level the following year. So, um, you know, you, you, but I, again, I, I think you have to go into it with the idea that all these guys are individuals. So there's not just one rule that would apply to, to everybody. You know, the, the same, all 19-year-olds, you aren't going to handle the same way. Definitely, definitely. Yeah, it is. It is interesting, especially now at the big league level, how we see so many of these young guys come up and they seem to be ready immediately. I mean, the Nationals with Juan Soto last year, you know, he barely played like 100 games in the minor leagues. And sure, he was crushing it at every level, but it was for like five games and then they were moving him up. So, look, not everyone could be Juan Soto. And it's not to say that every 19 year old crushing it in double A would also be crushing it in the big leagues. But I, I do think it is interesting uh, how these teams make those decisions. And of course, health goes into it, age goes into it, experience goes into it. But but Drew Waters is a good case. Now, Drew Waters, a, a high school hitter, is the, the kind of guy that you would normally take slowly. College hitters drafted in the top 10 are usually the guys that you will see move most quickly or even in the first round. So I want to talk about this next group kind of together. Uh, we see uh, some of the some of the guys, top hitters drafted last year. Alec Bohm with the Phillies, Travis Swaggerty with the Pirates, Joey Bart with the Giants, and Jonathan India with the Reds. Uh, Bohm, the only one going to low A, Swaggerty, Bart, India, all be assigned to high A. And then Nico Horner drafted at the end of the first round. Uh, by the Cubs, who I think we've, we've already talked about a little bit on this podcast, he gets the assignment all the way to double A. Were you surprised by any of these, or do all do all these seem kind of in line with where these hitters kind of stand going into their first full professional season? Well, I think if you were doing an, an over-under for, for the college hitters taken in the first round, you'd say high class A for most of those guys this year. Um, so, like, the, none of the high class A guys really surprised me at all. And, and Nico, it, it's funny, I mean, I think we all realize now that people in the media, including MLB pipeline. And I think a lot of teams underrated Nico Horner in last year's draft um, where I know, I, I know we didn't have him. I think we had him ranked 40th or 50th, like somewhere in the forties, I want to say. Um, and he went 24th overall, which means, you know, there are 23 teams passed on him. And, you know, it's weird. His, his debut was, was so odd. Jordan, I mean, he, he came into pro ball with the, with the reputation of being one of the better pure hitters, on the college side, but he'd only hit three homers in three years at Stanford. You know, is he a shortstop? Is he a second baseman? And I think those are the reasons he went as low as he did and why we didn't have him ranked higher. And, 
and, and none of the media, you know, really ranked him, you know, that high. Saw him as a, a lock first round pick, but he had a he had a weird debut where he he played really well for 14 games. And they strained ligaments in his non-throwing elbow when he dove for a ball and it ended his summer. So because he missed that time and because he's an advanced hitter, the Cubs said, you know what, let's get him some more bats. Let's send him to the fall league. And he's one of the best hitters in the fall league. I, I can't tell you how many times I ran into pro scouts who, who generally are not going to do that much amateur coverage at all. So they had not seen Nico Horner. And and I, I like almost every pro scout I knew that I talked to would give me with some version of like, why did this guy last 24 picks in the draft? He's really good, <laughs> like type of thing. So I think by getting back in the fall league and tearing it up like he did, and he actually drove the ball well too. Like he, he's, he's probably going to have close to average power after hitting three homers in three years at Stanford. Um, I think it was just a case like, look, this guy is is pretty advanced. Um, you know, the, Ian Happ was a higher first round pick and a more lauded first round pick when the Cubs took him, and they promoted him very aggressively. And I think Nico Horner is going to be on that on that same path. So I think that's why Nico's there. And and, and yeah, the, the the Alec Baum one I, I think kind of speaks maybe a little bit to what I was saying before about letting guys um, tear it up a little bit. Um, because he had a, he had a little bit of a weird debut too, where he had an injury and it kind of kept his numbers down and he got to low class a, uh, for like a month and he didn't really hit much there. You know, again, he wasn't a hundred percent. Like he was, I think he was hit by a pitch and it, he had a deep bruise on his shin that kind of, you know, held him back. So I, I think in his case, maybe it's just to, maybe the Phillies just saying, Hey, let's let him go tear it up in, in the Saturday league for a month and, and promote him after that. So, but that, but those, he, he and Horner definitely jumped out looking at that top 100 list. Like you, you would have thought all those guys in general would have been in high class set. Yeah. And I, I forgive me for, for not mentioning Nick Madrigal also uh, being assigned to, to high class A, but, but it, it will be, it will be interesting to watch. I mean, Horner, it is crazy when just immediately the evaluation can can change. Clearly, the Cubs, you know, it sounds like the Cubs would have taken him in the top ten if if they had the opportunity. I think a lot of teams would now. Like in retrospect, I think if they, if we did the draft again, he definitely would not be there at twenty four, and he'd go a lot closer. I mean, the the best comp I had him, I'm not I'm not sold. He's a shortstop, like at the big league level, but the best guy I had a scout comp him to Ian Kinsler, and I really like that comp. Like like he could be that type of player, and, and Kinsler. I mean, his kind. I mean, I don't think he's necessarily going to make it to Cooperstown. But if you actually look at his numbers and how he fits in among, you know, like all-time second baseman, like he would not, be, you know, he historically fits in very well. And, and like, I'm not again, I'm not putting Nico Horner in Cooperstown, but this guy can really, really hit, and he's not just going to be this slappy guy. Like, you know, a lot of times there are college programs where there's an emphasis on. Look, the, the bats are different. The balls are different. You know, it's not the power game it was 10 or 15 years ago. And guys are encouraged to kind of go the other way with a shorter stroke. And, I mean, he's got strong hands. Uh, you know, it's funny. I remember when I was – I guess I was going to the fall league on one of my – I think I made three trips there last year. It's all blur. I love the fall league. And I was going to the fall league, I think, right after – it must have been well, you know, it was, it was after the Cubs got eliminated because they're they're, they're then assistant hitting coach Andy Haynes, who I'd met in the fall league a couple years earlier. Now he's with the Brewers, was out there. I saw a guy with a Cubs suitcase and I was like, Who is that? I was like, Oh, it looks like Andy Haynes. And we were talking and he brought up Nico Horner. Um, because I, I and he said, um, that yeah, that, that that from what he was hearing, that he had more power than than, than people thought, and he was talking about how quick and strong his hands were. Um, so like, yeah, he uh yeah, I think he's a guy. I I bet he handles double A. You know, you mentioned Madrigal. Madrigal's probably a guy who could have been been well prepared to handle 
uh, you know, a double A assignment had they wanted to go that route. Also, I mean, he he was in high class A. He he played forty three games last summer, twenty six in high class A, and he had kind of an unusual debut. He wasn't hurt. But he hit for average, but he in 43 games, he had 303, but it was seven extra base hits, all doubles, seven walks, five strikeouts. Uh, he had more strike. He had more steals and he had extra base hits, walks or strikeouts, which is weird. Um, and so I think they just kind of want him to they're not trying to remake him as a hitter, but I think they'd like to see him drive the ball maybe a little bit more consistently um, and get off to a good start. And and I haven't talked to them specifically about this, but he um when they drafted him, there was talk about giving him some time at shortstop. He didn't really play there at Oregon State as a junior with Caden Grenier uh, beside him in, in that same recruiting class. He had played there earlier in his career, and they didn't want to kind of throw that on him while he was getting acclimated to pro ball and coming back from a from a wrist injury early in, in his junior season. So it also may be that they fear, hey, you know what, let's slow it down just a little bit for him, and we'll give him some shortstop time too. But like, he, if you had asked me of all the all – the, position players who could handle the jumps to double a the answer probably would have been madrigal and and nico horner right now that we know that horner is really amazing somehow <laughs> so so yeah no that that it's always it's always fun to see how these first rounders perform uh in their first prof- full professional seasons now another category of guys who will be in their first full professional seasons are the super duper young international uh guys that that sign and, and maybe maybe they made an appearance at the complex last year or maybe they were just tearing it up in the DSL and that uh, is 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 where we come to Julio Rodriguez Mariners outfield prospect and Mets shortstop prospect Ronnie Mauricio now I can't remember if, if Mauricio did make his state state stateside debut last year uh, already but Rodriguez uh, he was the MVP of the DSL and now both of these guys will be assigned uh, to the South Atlantic League in low A at both at I, I think they're both 18 or 19 still uh, this is going to be a very interesting. It's always exciting to watch the youngest players in the league, guys that got big bonuses and have been prospects since they were 15 or 16, see how they perform in this first full season. Uh, are you are you optimistic about these guys? Are you surprised these guys got full season assignments? Um, I mean, not necessarily. I mean, these are super talented guys. I mean, as you mentioned, you know, Rodriguez was in the MV, was in the DSL. Mauricio was in rookie ball, you know, mostly in the Gulf Coast League. He played briefly in the Appy League. Um, you know, you, I mean, Look, we obviously expected, you know, like if we'd said, okay, what 18-year-old is most likely to be in low class A? We both knew the answer was Wander Franco because he was in the he, – he tore up the Appy League and was the MVP last year at 17. And and again, I'm going to – my my goal I, – I need Suspedis Barbecue's help with this, Jordan. He's Vladimir Guerrero Third, is what we're going to call him. Vladimir Guerrero Third, not Wander Franco. There's too many Wander Francos. There's – three Wander Francos in baseball and they're all brothers, which is crazy. I don't know if there's like a Wander Franco grill in the Dominican, like the George Foreman grill, if, like, or what's going on there. But I, I want to, I want to refer to him as Vladimir Guerrero the third. Any case, we knew Franco we, would be up, but I think it's kind of cool to see these guys. Like, I, I wonder, had he not been hurt, would we have seen um, George Valera in the Indian system as a guy who could have possibly been up, but he barely played last year because he got hurt in the Arizona league, but he's another advanced hitter who I think, probably could have could have handled that jump but yeah it's um you know i think you take it slow i mean the thing to remember you know we were talking about what you did how you handle guys there's no shame if julio rodriguez and and ronnie mauricio wound up repeating low class a next year h19 um you know i you know and you'll see sometimes i'm not saying it'll happen either of these guys sometimes when guys struggle in low class a then they'll send them back down to the New York Penn League of the Northwest League once the short season leagues start, you know, in, in June. So I just think it speaks to, you know, how advanced 
and exciting these guys are as hitters um, that, you know, they have that kind of possibility. Like he's not there yet, but I would think Christian Robinson in the Dimeback system, he's an extended spring right now, but like we see Christian Robinson in low class. They sometimes they give the guys like a month and then they send them out. So maybe we'll see Christian Robinson, possibly in low class a, you know, at some point in may that can happen too, but it's, to me, it's exciting. I mean, those will be two guys in Rodriguez and Mauricio uh, who, along with Vladimir Guerrero, the third, who I will uh, be monitoring extremely closely, uh, you know, at the beginning part of the season. Yeah. And Franco, definitely a bit of a head start there having already completely destroyed uh, the length, the, the level below him. But, um, but yeah, right. Exactly. They're, they're, they're 18. They're, they're going to be so much younger. They're adjusting to a million things, having to go live in West Virginia or Columbia, South Carolina, or, or, you know, Bowling Green, Kentucky. I mean, <laughs> this is, this is a big adjustment for any 18 year old, let alone guys coming over uh, from the Dominican or, or whatnot. So uh, it'll be very exciting to see them. So we've done enough, enough minor league chat before we go. I do want to sneak in some, some, draft chat here uh jim we've got draft season right around the corner i mean this college season is in full swing high school season's finally getting underway uh i want to talk about one specific hitter who has completely laid waste to the division one baseball pitch every pitcher is set in front of him he has decided that no you are not enough for me i'm gonna hit a home run it's hunter bishop arizona state outfielder Leads the country in home runs with, I believe, 16 now, which is uh, pretty pretty good. 16 in 27 games uh, for Mr. Bishop. He's the younger brother of Mariners outfield prospect Braden Bishop. Uh, Braden Bishop, more, more known for his defense, his speed in center field, and now here's his younger brother leading the country in home runs. Where did this come from? I know this guy had tools uh, as an underclassman, but this is a whole other level of performance. How high up on a draft board do you think he could end up by the end of the season? Well, the, the other thing, too, I mean – you know, you Braden, as you, you're right, you know, is more known for his speed and his defense. And Hunter actually runs and runs well and plays good defense too. But he's a lot more power than his brother. And he showed flashes of it, you know, his first couple of years at Arizona State. But he he really didn't command the strike zone well. I mean, he he swung and missed a lot. And this year he's got more walks and strikeouts, which is not just a product of being pitched around more often. It's like he's cut down his strikeout rate a lot. I'm I. I not going to give you exact percentages because I can't do all the math in my head. But last year he struck out 50 times in about 158 plate appearances. This year he's got 22 strikeouts in about 129. So, um, you know, the, the power's always been there, but he needs to make more contact. He's doing that. He's, he's flying up boards. I mean, this is, this is a draft. It'll be very interesting to see how many hitters we think are going to get, or how many hitters will get drafted before the first pitcher. I mean, coming to the year, my uh, at that, when the year was young, I was my my point was I thought you could make a case for drafting seven hitters before you start to think about pitchers in this year's draft, and now you have Hunter Bishop is firmly up in that mix. I mean, I think if the draft were today, and yeah, a lot can change between now and then, but we're not just talking about slugger; we're talking about a guy with tools. I mean, he can you know, he, and he's got this. I mean. It's like it's like magic, Jordan. For the teams that are big into numbers, you got more walks and strikeouts. That's like that's just magic too. I think Hunter Bishop's going like top five, top ten picks right now. I don't wow. think he gets out of the top ten. Um, wow. You know, you know. Again, I mean, things could change. You know, based on you know the, the next two months. But no, I think he's he's firmly in that that top ten mix. And I think kind of another guy who was more highly touted come into the year. And he was hurt a little bit last year. The question was how much power he's going to have is J.J. Bleday. And J.J. Bleday is also raking 
uh, as well. The last time I looked, I think JJ's got 12 homers in 29 games. So he's not too far behind Hunter. Um, and I think JJ Bleday is another guy who was just, he'd already kind of shown he was an advanced hitter coming into the year. He's more of that classic kind of right fielder. I think JJ Bleday has vaulted himself into the top five or 10 picks as well. You know, probably top, probably six to 10 more than top five, you know, and Bishop's probably maybe more six to 10 than top five. But I mean, there's, there's two more hitters to throw in that mix. I mean, we might, I mean, I'm sure it won't quite happen because there'll be some pitcher that somebody wants to have. But, I mean, you could make a case probably for now drafting nine or 10 position players before you took a hitter. Yeah. And, and, you know, all the credit in the world to, to Bishop and Blade and these other hitters who have, who have had hot starts, but it really is uh, quite the, a thin crop at the top in terms of arms that, that you might be see going uh, in the top half of the first round. I mean, you know, when you did your first draft rankings, if, if you look at it now, it, it doesn't look necessarily as accurate. You know, the top two pitchers we had at, at the start of the season on Pipeline, Carter Stewart, who, of course, was a first rounder last year who did not sign with the Braves and is now pitching uh, in junior college in Florida. And Graham Stinson, left hander at Duke, who uh, had, had was really known for his his velocity and his big stuff from the left side. Both of these guys have had kind of weird starts to the season. Carter Stewart, if you look at his numbers, he's been awesome. But, you know, junior college numbers what are those really worth? Sure, he has an ERA under two and he's striking out 13 per nine, but the stuff is nowhere near what it was. Graham Stinson dealing with a lot of injuries uh, at Duke and has not pitched since January. So these guys have had rough starts to the season. Who is the pitcher that right now you would pick to be the, that first guy taken after all these hitters? That's a good question because teams, you know, the other thing is too, the scariest demographic for a team is to take a high school pitcher. So... I mean, on the college side, I, I think you'd be looking at guys like, you know, like like you mentioned, you know, Carter Stewart, you know, he's been throwing around 90, the spin rate, you know, he had like kind of historic spin rates on the curve that haven't been there this year. You know, Stinson pitched some at the beginning of the season, hasn't pitched in the last two or three weeks, and his velocity was really down. And he was also transitioning from relieving to starting. Like, I guess on the college side right now, your, your top three arms would probably – I think be Nick Lodolo of TCU, who's been working, you know, he's got multiple pitches. He's been more consistent. You know, he's a supplemental first rounder out of high school who showed pretty good stuff, but didn't dominate or succeed quite as much as you hoped he would his first couple of years. He's been more consistent. I, I think it's probably him. I think it, it, it's Alec Manoa um, from West Virginia might be in there. And then the third guy right now might be Zach Thompson at Kentucky. And Thompson was a guy who had some physical issues last year. He um, missed two months with an elbow injury, didn't require surgery. And he actually, he pitched really well against my, I keep coming back to Georgia, really well against my alma mater, Georgia, uh, a week or so ago. So those are probably the top three on the high school side. I think the three guys we had coming into the year are probably still the top three high school pitchers. That would be Brennan Malone, um, who's at IMG Academy in Florida, who pitched really well at the NHSI, uh, National High School Invitational, the first day, Jonathan Mayo. That's where he is. That's why he's not with us. Um, but Brennan Malone, Daniel Spino, who's the hardest thrower in this year's high school crop uh, out of Georgia Premier Academy, obviously in Georgia. And then Matthew Allen from Seminole High School in Florida. J.J. Goss, a, a kid from Texas, might be number four. But, like, I don't know. I mean, yeah, teams will go on pitching, so maybe they won't take 10 hitters, but like 
just looking at the board, I mean, I think you very easily could go, okay, I'll take an Adley Rutschman, the Oregon State catcher, Andrew Vaughn, the, the first baseman from Cal, the two high school shortstops and C.J. Abrams and Bobby Witt Jr., you know, Bryson Stott. There's a deep you know, shortstop crop in college this year. Bryson Stott's probably the best of those guys. We mentioned Bishop and Blade. Riley Green's a really sweet swinging uh, outfielder. Uh, he's probably the best pure hitter on the high school side. I still like Josh Young some at Texas Tech. Uh, Cameron Meisner is kind of my tools darling. He's not tearing it up in SEC play, but he's a guy who can factor in there. Corbin Carroll's not real physical, but man, he can really play and he can run and play defense and hit. Um, so you could, you could, I mean, I'm not saying you would slam dunk take all those guys over all those pitchers, but you could definitely make a case to take every one of those guys over whatever pitcher you want to throw out there. You know, Shane Langlears has had a handmade injury and, but you know, so he hasn't really kind of been able to, to go out and, and do a whole lot, but I mean, Shane Langlears, I mean, if you believe that he he's more of a hitter, he was as a freshman than when he kind of tried to do too much as a sophomore, the guy's an unbelievable defender. I mean, Shane Langlears is still a high pick too. So like, like I said, I think that would be one of the questions, you know, we still have two months to straighten all this stuff out, but if the draft were today, like where's the first pitcher go? Does he go eight? Does he go 10? I mean, do we, do we not have a pitcher in the top 10? It'll be really interesting to see. And I, I can't remember a draft that's, that's this thin recently. I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I have not been following the draft as long as you, I don't know if you could come up with other examples, but I am. It's, it's gotta be the worst college pitching crop I can remember. Yeah. It just, there's, there's usually there's there's at least a college pitcher too. You're talking about up at the very top of the draft. There's nobody like that this year. I mean, like Nickel Dolo's have a nice spring, but nobody's going to take Nickel Dolo with the top three picks. And there just isn't depth. I mean, there's there's just question marks with a lot of these college pitchers. So it'll be it'll be interesting. Uh, you know, like I said, I mean, I think the, in the middle of the first round is going to be really interesting. I think we're going to see all these hitters go off the board, and you might get to the point about 13 where like. The, the, the most talented guys are high school pitchers, but that's the demographic that the, the teams run away from the most in the first round too, especially right-handers. Yeah. And, and it's, it's also interesting because if you look at last year without Casey Mize, there really wasn't a whole lot of top tier college pitching either. Um, and I don't know if this is a product of a lot of, you know, high school arms just signing earlier and not making it to school uh, or, or what it is, but, it, but it is pretty, pretty shocking to see uh, how, how, how far how far down this pitching crop is go? Usually, you'll have a guy who's pitching on a good college team. They have a big performance in a regional that everyone likes to get excited about. So there's still a long way from that, and, there, and there's still time for these pitchers to kind of build their stock. But I agree, it is it is thin at the moment, and we will see which of these arms can actually make that jump into that top tier. All right, Jim. Well, we've gone a good a good while here. This has been a pleasure as always. Uh, this is uh, this has been this week's Pipeline podcast. We will hopefully be back on a nor- nor- normal schedule and with all three of us very soon. But for Jim Cowles, I'm Jordan Schusterman. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you guys soon.